everyone. I hope everyone's well out there. Oh, I've got a treat for you today. I'm going to talk to my dear, dear friend, Bill Wyman. Bill, as you know, was in the Stones for over 30 years and actually has just done a track with their new album, Hackney Diamonds, but also made his own band, The Rhythm Kings. And he's an amazing man. He's had such an amazing life and I hope you enjoy it. Well, hello, Bill. How are you? I'm good. Good, good, good. Well, I only saw you last week, didn't I? Yeah, it's been a long time. (laughs) It's been a long, long time. (laughs) Oh, we recorded that, didn't we? Yes. That's so funny. That was one of the 12 tracks we did, yeah. Yeah. We'll, We'll talk about that later. Old classical music. Yeah, lovely. Well, we're both fans of that, aren't we? Well, I love all that 30s and 40s. You know, because I grew up as a child with that in my head. That's right. That that was presu- well. You you were born in the late thirties, right? Thirty six. Okay, so that was kind. I was born in the late forties, and my uh, my early memory of those songs were from my dad actually, because my dad loved the big bands. So he used to, and he he was a self taught piano player. Okay. So they were all right. his his kind of musical memories so that's as a kid that's kind of what I grew up on as well yeah I get nostalgia when I hear old stuff like that I know it back to that early childhood when I, mean, I wasn't quite aware of music or and then just heard it I heard my aunts listening to it and all that you know and would that be on kind of what they called the wireless which we called the radio right <laughs> <laughs> the wireless of my grandfather my dad's dad my grandfather yeah actually built so um it was a bit of one of the earliest ones in the street where we lived at the time he built a, a, a wireless yeah wow that's amazing and it had big accumulators uh, you know which were quite you know I used to have to take them down to the shop to change them all the time i don't know what an accumulator is what's an accumulator it's just what runs the electricity. For the, oh, I see. Okay, okay. Yeah, and it's a square glass thing, you know. I know. I know. And we used to, I used to swap on for a new one, and I used to get the, a bit of the uh, sort of acid on my fingers, and it sort of tasted quite strange. It wasn't worrying. Oh, my God. You could have poisoned yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was only about six or seven oh. then, you know. Well, I have to say, I'm I'm just I'm just finishing. I've got about five pages to go. Your gorgeous book, Billy in the Wars. It's oh, so yeah. lovely. And it really takes you back to the war years. And you were tiny, weren't you? Well, I was three when it started, yeah. Wow. So I remember the Battle of Britain. Do you? Uh, oh, yeah, I've seen the planes going over, yeah. All the German planes, 600. That's right, yeah. Yeah, you said there was one moment when... I think you were down in the um, the air raid shelter, and your um, one of your neighbours took you out to show you one of the planes going over with the, with the bombs. That was a, no, that was a doodlebug. It was a B one rocket. Oh it, my god! They didn't have plane. They didn't have um, pilots. They were just oh, didn't they? I didn't know they, that. Oh, what they sent up the rocket, and then it yeah. would drop. Yeah, they they just had enough fuel for it to arrive over London and then it ran out of fuel and just fell and exploded. Oh, and it used, they used to take down about eight, ten, twelve houses. Because it says in the book that because 
the English intelligence were telling the Germans they were overshooting London. They dropped back on fuel, so it was hitting southeast London. Yes. Which is where you lived. <laughs> Within our little one-mile square area. Yeah. Uh, between Crystal Palace, Beckenham, on the other side, Sydenham and Annerley, one mile square, we had 17 doodlebugs there. We had one a V2 rocket, the, the ones that went 100 miles up and came down and just exploded, oh and uh, 37 bombs. Oh, my goodness. And you and you were one of what, four children? One of five. Five? Yeah. I was the oldest, but they were all evacuated. I was just with my grandmother. That's right. And actually, your memories of living with your grand sound really, really happy. Yeah, they were fantastic. And, of course, I was going to school as well in the bombing and the air raids as well. So, My goodness. Are those memories really, really clear? Because you were so little. Absolutely. And you said in the book you were getting on a bus age six on your own. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was going from Sydney to Penge to see my oh, grand. That's amazing. On your own on a bus. Can you imagine? T- <laughs> I was evacuated briefly and was unhappy, so I came back to live with my grand. My yeah. mum just... Put me on the train at Nottingham. I was <gasps> That's right. It's in the book. It's amazing. Put me on the train and, and I went off to Euston for two hours and plus, two hours plus by myself with my little jam sandwich. Oh, Bill, <laughs> that's so sweet. In the carriage and my mum said, could you, in tears my mum was, and she oh, said, could you keep your eye on him for me? Oh, my goodness. But that's I so... Like, you know, I, I remember it, you know, distinctly. Amazing. This lady gave me drinks from a little thermos she had. Aww. So a drop of tea and that in for my my jam sandwich to go down. <laughs> oh, I know. It's a wonderful book. When, when did this come Did this come out last year? In October, yeah. I love the illustrations as well. They're lovely. Yeah, they're, they're by Owen Maron, um, yeah, who's my, my eldest daughter's boyfriend. Oh, is that? Oh, yes, of course. And I, he creates comics and things he's very very talented so i used him for the illustration and there is that picture of me sitting in the train isn't there i know my legs hanging and the <laughs> one where you've got the the real photograph of the back at the back oh, he's yeah. done an illustration oh you look so sweet in your little white shirt that's the earliest picture of me that's amazing absolutely amazing well it's a wonderful book if every, anyone out there wants to get it it's gorgeous billy in the wars by Bill Wyman. I'm really, I say I've got five pages to go. But but the other thing I thought was lovely in it, that your mum taught you to knit and sew. Can you still, can you still knit? Um, (laughs) A bit of a struggle now, yeah, because I can't remember, you know, the different, the different knitting things. Actually, when I talked to um, your friend, uh, Ronnie Wood, he still knits, he can knit. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which really made me laugh. He said he's a really good knitter. <laughs> but I love to knit and sew. I think our generation learned, because my mum made most of our clothes. Well, there's very little to do in those days, you yeah. know, so you did yeah. learn things like that. Yeah, you, it's you, lovely. And, and you had games to play and all that with cards and uh, dice and, uh, you know, the five the five ones, you throw one up and catch them, what's he called, um, dabs. We used to call it dabs. I don't know what, five stone or something. It's got different names. You had those things because there was nothing else. So you had to amuse yourself. 
There was no television, no internet, no. <laughs> well, we didn't have, didn't have electricity until I was. And I love the story in the book of you saving up. You saw the bicycle in the shop window. Oh yeah. And you <laughs> saved up your meagre pocket money for months and months, and 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 you take. It wasn't pocket money. Oh, it was. What was I it? I used to run errands for you know up and down the street, and the ladies used to give me a penny or a halfpenny. Oh, okay. And then I used to collect them, and the relatives gave me three penny pieces or six penny pieces. And I just used to take them down to the man at the shop, and he put them in a little black book. And then one day, after four months, I I went down with some more coins, and he said, You've paid for it. And he took it down. I didn't know what to do with it. (laughs) (laughs) Had you ever ever ridden a bike? Well, I was only only six. (laughs) And. and, um, and I, I wheeled it home, and when I got home, my mother thought I'd stolen it, and she smacked me and made me go <laughs> take me back to the shop. And then the guy explained it to her. That's so funny. Mind you, I bet you cherish that bike because you... Yeah, you well, know. I had it all the way through the war, and I gave it to my sister, and her oh. children used it after the war. That's amazing. Have you got your Have you got your cup of tea? Of course, I have. I, I've got licorice today. I mean, everybody started to drink coffee, haven't they? But I found out when I was living in France in the seventies that I was having tummy problems, and I, I realised at last it was coffee, and so I never really? drank. It. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Well, how long did you live in France? Eleven years. Oh, did you? I didn't realise that. What full time living there? Yeah. Well, I was all the time so um, with the with the band so you just go off with the stones and do the, your gigs and then go back to france yeah i had the house in south france so yeah 11 years yeah from 71 wow. to 82. did you love living down there well you know the climate was great the food was great the wine was great all the ambience there were a lot of english people or english-speaking french people which were fine artists and all that i met all the artists chagall uh wow and, those you know Cesar Armand um, and I became friends with them and so there was a lot of benefit there for living there although I was miss I missed England all the time and I used Did to, you? to send, that's interesting well I used to have to send away for Branson pickle and, and <laughs> you know, birds custards and, and all that because you couldn't get it there and I really miss that kind of stuff you know that's so funny well, actually, when, when I first went to LA for I lived there. I've lived there on and off in different periods of my life, and and when in the early seventies, you couldn't get kind of marmite and custard, and and I really missed that. There was also the problem of trying to make tea in France as well because the milk was different, you know, and, the, already, and the water's different. Yeah, um, so you had your tea, English tea bags and that, or tea, but you know the the milk just it just didn't work. Um, so it was yeah, always it a bit, no. it's never. Well, the worst place to get a cup of tea is in America because they just give you a cup with hot water and a tea bag on the side. <laughs> and they think you're mad. You say, no, you've got to boil the water and you've got to pour it on the tea bag while it's boiling. They think you're insane. <laughs> I know. You get that problem in hotels as well. Yeah. You know, the water is half, half warm, the water. It's well, if hot. I'm ever doing a job there that is a long job, I just get somebody to get me a kettle. And I plug it in and I do my own tea because <laughs> they can't make a cup of tea. <laughs> anyway, the other thing in your book, which I found really interesting, Billy in the Wars, was that 
your, I think it was your auntie, your mum's sister, once she had a date with an American soldier or sailor and they went to a dance hall in Croydon and they, she was looking after you. So she took you and yeah, you I had a lemonade. Gran, I think my gran insisted she took me. Yeah. And so you that, said it was the first time you'd heard live big band and you thought, I, I want to, is that true? I want to do that. Yeah. Um, well, she took me, my gran told her to take me so to make sure she came home, you know, because they were all <laughs> servicemen, you know. Oh, um, yeah. And they were all dancing, they were all doing the jitterbug to a big band. It was the, the Orchid Ballroom Pearly, I think it was. Wow. And uh, I saw the big band there and I thought, I'm just sitting there with the lemonade, you know, watching all this going on. And they were doing the jitterbug, which is like jiving, only through the legs and over the heads and, you know, all that madness, which is wonderful to watch. And um, I thought, God, I wish I could be in a band one day. Oh, but, of course, I never imagined that I possibly could because you had to be a trained musician in those yeah. days to be in those bands. That's right. Also, like me, I never dreamed what would happen to me would happen because girls like me from my background didn't become models. And I bet you, you know, you kept, grew up in quite a poor, loving family, but poor. So you didn't kind of think you could do things like that, did you? No, no, no possible way. It would. It just. It. It almost wasn't a dream. It was like, well, that that can't happen to me because I'm not from the right yeah, kind of class. Because I grew up in a happy home, and you know, I love a happy family and everything. But it was just like a thing that you didn't do. Well, I, I pretty much lived with my grand right the way through. A, a brief. For brief times, I went back to my family just for and stayed a while, sometimes a few years. But then I always ended up with my gran again because she was so amazing. She taught me everything. When I was in grammar school, um, I was still living with my gran. And she was teaching me everything, you know, about collecting, about writing the diary, about keeping scrapbooks and da-da-da-da-da. And you, you're a really brilliant archivist, aren't you? I mean, I know you archive everything. <laughs> but do you think you got got that from your gran? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, she, she got me to collect cigarette cards in those days. It used to be in the back of cigarette packets, those cards. Um, and um, uh, stamps, postage stamps, and all those kind of things. And that's what started it, really. The shame was when I did my military service in Germany in the RAF for two years, my mother threw all that stuff away. And when I got back on list, it was all my stuff. She said, oh, it was just kid stuff, wasn't it? I threw it away. <laughs> all my diaries oh, through the war and everything. Can you imagine oh, no. what they would be like now? Diaries of a little boy growing up in the war. Oh. But luckily, my memory is there. I say you've got such a brilliant memory. It conjures up such a vivid picture of that time and well, we were bombed out twice i know you were, and we were but was that hard i mean you must have missed your mum and your brothers and sisters but then you you loved being with your grandma it must have been quite hard as a little kid well you didn't have toys or anything and you didn't have yeah. birthday car birthday presents and christmas yeah. things in those days. you didn't have the money for it you know yeah. and so you would share a rupert annual you know and that's why I've always been fond of Rupert. I've got a Rupert badge in my, on my coat <laughs> I always wear. And um, oh. I've got the complete collection of Rupert annuals from 1936. Have you? And lots of other things like his scarf and badges. Wow. And 
cups and mugs and all, all kinds of stuff. <laughs> So you went into national service. When was that? Uh, 55. 55. And you were uh, posted to Germany, I read, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Oldenburg in Germany. North. And was that? Was it true that that's where you bought your first guitar? Yes, that's where I first heard rock and roll music on American Forces Radio because wow. we were next to the American Zone, very close because we were near Hamburg. And oh, yeah. uh, I heard the beginnings of rock and roll, Elvis, Little Richard, and all them, Fats Domino, um, on American service radio. And that's where I was inspired. And then, of course, we heard about Lonnie Donegan. Oh, yeah. And that's where I started doing that. So you did you did skiffle? Uh, yeah, I formed a little skiffle band in, in, the, in the camp. Uh, and I had a, a, one of those T-chess basses I made, you know, with a broom handle. <laughs> did you? Yeah. <laughs> Well, you did anything because you didn't have money to buy things, really. No, but then I bought a, a horrible acoustic guitar in the town and, and that, uh-huh. tried to play that, which was impossible. Um, and then when I came out in '68, uh, in '58, the Jan '58, I I formed a band in South London. Is that is that the Cliftons? Yeah, and my drummer were were playing with Mick, Keith, and Brian in Chelsea sometimes. Oh. I was going to say, Dick what? Taylor. how did that link happen? And then Dick Taylor left to go to college because he said there's no money in it. And my my drummer said, you know, there's no bass player. So I came because I, I'd built my, myself a bass guitar. The year you of, built it? Yeah, it was the fret, oh, I invented God. the fretless bass without knowing it. I didn't know it wow, until that... about 20 years ago <laughs> that it was the first fretless bass ever made. And um, wow. so I, I joined then and then later he left and Charlie joined. And then I was in a band at last. Did you have any inkling in those early days? I mean, there's no way you could have, I suppose. You were probably just thrilled to be in a band, right? But you had no inkling that you were going to be one of the biggest bands. We were playing blues, which was totally uncommercial. Oh, really? And so we were playing the jazz clubs, you know, so we were only being seen by jazz people originally. Uh, did, did, Did you play on Eel Pie Island? Yeah, we were the first. We were the first little band that played there. In the late sixties, I bought mum and dad a house on the Thames in Twickenham, yeah. and just down the river, you could see, they were on the river. You could see Hill Pie Island, and that yeah. was the big story in Twickenham that the Rolling Stones started their career on Hill Pie Island. Is that true? Well, we didn't start our career there, but we were there. You know, we yeah, and um, we started in Richmond actually. We were playing the clubs in London and then, then we got fired by the jazz people because they, they didn't like us getting the applause that they weren't getting, you know, the traditional jazz bands. Oh, the three B's, you know, Hacker Bilk, Chris Barber, and who's the other one? Kenny Ball. Um, oh, Denny Ball, yeah, Kenny Ball. Yeah, they were all the traditional. That's who were playing in all the clubs in London. Georgie Fame oh, was no, at, the, at the Flamingo and he became a friend in those days. Yeah. He was the only like jazz guy who liked us actually. Well actually when I was a, I was a mod in the the early 60s. This is when I was still a schoolgirl and we used to go I was allowed out on a Saturday night to go to uh, you know club with my friends and we used to go to Harrow Harrow on the Hill and they above Burton's tailoring yeah. there was a little club for the mods. Okay. I mean, I had to be home at 10 o'clock. And the guy playing was Georgie Fame. Yeah, he was great. Isn't that for that would have been 1963? Yeah. I mean, I was, you know, I was... 
well, fourteen and a half. You know, he, he ended up being in the Rhythm Kings for twenty years with me. That's right. That's uh, right. It was wonderful. The other people that played at this club were the Yardbirds, and that was Eric Clapton. That was after us. Yeah, they followed us. And okay. Eric was, you know, playing all over the place actually, as Jimmy Page was. Jimmy Page was uh, like a session musician, session musician playing on all the singles for all these these singers, and he was just a session musician before he was, yeah. But they all followed us because we were the first band that actually started to play blues and be successful, and then other bands started to do it in the same way as Beatles started uh, playing their kind of music in yeah. and then loads of bands. Got on, loads of people got on the bandwagon playing that style of music. They did the same thing with the Stones, you know. Hello, everyone. Twiggy here. You all know how much I love things that are chic yet practical. Today, I want to tell you about my latest find. Sarah Harron handbags, particularly the Jasmine crossbody handbag in pink mockrock. This handbag is really great. It's made from a delightful pink mockrock leather and you can tell that each piece is crafted with so much care. When you open it up, you're greeted by a soft pink interior with two handy pockets to keep your bits and bobs in place. It's also very versatile. You can wear it across your body or sling it over your shoulder. Sarah Harron has many different styles and colours of handbags to suit your personal taste. So, why not treat yourself to a Sarah Harron bag? My bag and more gorgeous ones are on their website, sarahharron.com. That's S-A-R-A-H-H-A-R-A-N.com. These bags are more than just accessories. They are your trusty sidekicks for every moment. Dive into the world of Sarah Harron handbags where style meets everyday life. And here's the cherry on top. Visit the Sarah Harron website now where you will receive an exclusive offer of 20% off your first bag. And not only that, you will also get three accessories absolutely free so you can start styling your bag right away. Just enter the code TWT, that's TWT at the checkout to receive this incredible offer. So when when was the moment when it went from playing little clubs to going? Ma- was it the release of a single, or was it what what turned you into like mega 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 stars? Yeah, sixty four and the um, no, sorry, in sixty three, sixty three um, was our first single in the June, uh-huh. and in the autumn we played a package tour around England, and we were fourth on the bill to Everly Brothers. Little Richard and Bo Diddley. Oh, wow. Amazing. And that was an education, being on a big stage all the time and watching, you know, the way they they performed and all that. And we learned a lot from those kind of people. And then we, the next thing we were doing, we were fronting a a package tour with the Ronettes and and, and so on after that, you know. That's when we started to become really big. And was it, what was it, was it like, one single like satisfaction that really oh, rocketed. That was, that was much later. That's that it. was much later. Yeah. I'm trying to think of my. Uh, what was your first? What was the first big single? First big one was our third single, which was not fade away. 
I will not fail. I'm going to tell you how I'm going to be. Gentle. Yeah, I'm going to give you a love to me. I love that. Yeah, because I, I was a mod in that time, so I do remember it. I just couldn't remember which was the first one. Yeah, they got to number three in the, in the charts. Yeah. And at the end of the year, it a... voted best song of the year. Did it? Well, I'm not surprised. It was a great song, actually. What about things like Paint It Black? Was that later? I love that. Oh, yeah, that's much later. Much later. I, I haven't got, my, my chronological six, order is uh, terrible. And when did you first go to America? Um, June the 2nd, 64. Oh, that early? Yeah. Gosh. Yeah, for three weeks and nobody had heard of us. And so it was so pretty disastrous except for a couple of shows. We had a crazy night in San Bernardino where they all went crazy and all that. And then we had one in New York at Carnegie Hall we played. Oh, wow. And they almost destroyed the place, the kids. <gasps> and they tried to stop us doing the second show. And um, we insisted on going and doing it. And that's when we were first, really. Wow. No and obviously, yeah, and obviously the way you looked had a huge part of it as well. Yeah, the problem was we didn't have a hit record. You see, everybody that went out there, the Beatles went out three months earlier than us. They had like three or four gold records then, you know. And then all the other bands, Jerry and the Pacemakers and the Search, everybody had number ones and gold records. When we went, our top record was 44 in the charts, you know, which was not Fade Away. Oh, and wow. so so we were unknown, really, and it was a bit of a disaster. But that, those two crazy shows started it. So when we went back the following November, November of 64, it was successful. And was that through word of mouth or did it get in the press? Or It got in the press, of course, yeah. Yeah, in the press. Yeah. I first went into the States in 1967 and compared to the girls of my age, I mean, I was just 17 then. You would have had mini skirts, but they wouldn't. Yeah. In America. I looked like an alien being next to, they still had, they looked like, they were dressed like Jackie Kennedy with knee length skirts and little hats and handbags and twin sets. And I had mini skirts and my hair and my eyelashes. I must have looked like this weird up, didn't they? That's right. It was so funny because they were that far behind fashion-wise and, and same with you guys in the band. Well, we were criticised because we didn't wear uniforms or anything. We didn't wear makeup. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah because all band. the American bands always dressed alike, didn't well, they? Well, all the English in... did as well. We were the first band that went on stage casual clothes because we didn't have the money for uniforms originally. <laughs> that was the original reason. And then when Andrew Oldham tried to get us in uniforms, we wouldn't wear them. <laughs> and, and, so, and then a whole year went by and the bands were still all, all you know, doing the dances and all the same coat, clothes, same guitars and all that. And then suddenly everybody started to change a bit, you know, 64, 65. So when, I mean, then you became mega, 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 mega. I mean, I can't even imagine how many hits you had. How many hit albums? Of, of you were with them for, what, 30 years? I was with 31 years, yeah, from the beginning. To eighty uh, to ninety, well, I left in ninety one, but they wouldn't believe me. They, they, they refused, no, they, they refused to accept I had left. They just kept saying all the time, "You haven't left," and I said, "I have. I left in ninety." And it wasn't till ninety three, two years later, when they were starting to get together to do the next tour, which happened in ninety four, of course. They said, you actually have left, haven't you? I said, I left two years ago. You know? 
you wouldn't accept it. And then they finally accepted. So they, they say that I left in 1993. Was that because you were just sick of travelling or? I just had know? enough and, I, you know, it was half my life. You know, I'd already, I know. And I thought, well, I've got other things to do. You know, I want to do photography. I want to do archaeology. I want to write books. I want to have photo exhibitions if I can and do all kinds of different things, play charity cricket. I, want, I had so many things I wanted to do because I used to read about everything, ancient cultures and all that mm -hmm. while I was on the road, and I'd take photos as well. Um, and so I, I had this whole other life I wanted to live. You know, and, and people used to criticise and say, how on earth you left the top band in the world or one of the top bands in the world, why did you do that? And I said, well, if you were a bricklayer and you'd been a bricklayer for 40 years of your life and you stopped, you wouldn't go want to go back and be a bricklayer again. You? <laughs> You'd want to do something else. But you didn't give up music because you no, started the Rhythm years. Kings, right? I oh, did. you did for two years. Oh, that's two years, yeah. And I got married to Suzanne. I know, and lovely Suzanne. Three beautiful daughters, and so that was. And then I decided to. I wanted to play music, yeah, but but a different kind of music, like jazzy, anything, blues, mm -hmm. country, rock, reggae. And I got a band around with Georgie Fame um, to do that. So I would have a, a, a set band almost all the time, but sometimes Albert Lee was not available on guitar, so I'd have Martin Taylor, the jazz guitarist, Andy Fairweatherlow, and, and Peter Frampton uh, on a tour and so on. And then you'd, you'd have the same drummer, the same horn players, the same girl singer, same me, same Terry Taylor. Um, and so it was pretty pretty close. It was just swapping odd people that weren't available, you know. But when new people came in, did you have to do lots of rehearsal or did they just, like musicians do, they just kind of go in and do it, don't they? <laughs> yeah, we used to rehearse three days before a tour. Is that all? That's amazing. And we'd, write, we'd have eight new songs to learn, you know, and then just revive the other ones. We just did it in three days. We're, we're talking about consummate musicians here. That I know. Pick yeah, up they're amazing, away. aren't they? And so it was not difficult. You know, when I used to be in the Stones, we used to rehearse for a month before oh, we took wow. Playing all the same songs we've been playing for 30 years. <laughs> it was crazy. Why did they rehearse for a month? Because that's the way they were. <laughs> they were so casual about it, you know, and sometimes someone that they wouldn't turn up, you know. <laughs> Three of the band there to rehearse, and then, then next day before, and then someone else wasn't there. You know, and it was, a, it was oh, crazy. God. But that was the same thing in recording. Once, once you'd made the decision to leave, though, was it, was it, was it nice, or did you miss it? Oh, it was a, like a cloud off my head. You know, it, it really oh, was wow. a relief. Yeah, it was such a pleasure. The weird thing is, ever since, right until present days, I still dream. I'm on tour with them sometimes, and. <laughs> Do you? That's oh, yeah. interesting. Or we're in the dressing room or we're in that hotel. I still dream those dreams, yeah. And I dream of, of, of other friends like Bowie and uh, all these other people I was friends with. I still still have those really, really nice dreams or, or very confusing ones, you know. Because you were very, very close with Brian Jones, weren't you? Yeah. Wasn't he your, like your best friend? Yeah, he was, yeah. We shared, yeah. We shared rooms all the time. Oh, so that must have been terrible, terrible and Brian time. shared rooms and, and Charlie and Andrew Oldham shared rooms. It was the three. Before we could afford suites or anything, you know, or out our own rooms. And it was Brian and me that always used to go out in the clubs when we were uh, on, on tour 
you know, and we'd go and jam with, you know, the local bands and things like that. The others wouldn't be going, you know, be in the hotel. So it was good fun being with him, you know. Although he could be very horrible sometimes. He could be very horrible. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Two things going with him, but everybody has a <laughs> good side and a bad side, don't they? Well, that's true. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> but also, didn't did, did you get tired? It must be really hard traveling all the time, flying everywhere, being on the road, living in hotels. I mean, that must. That well, it must was. be so and, hard. And, you know, changing currency, it, of course, yeah. when you're in Europe, every country you went in, you had to change currency, you had to go through passport controls and, and all that. You've got different hotels with different food. Oh. And, and in America, you'd go from Canada up in the cold down to Miami in the heat. So you had to have all kinds of different clothes, <laughs> different temperatures, of you know, in hotels. And then you had different food. And, and it was just... You're changing all the time, you know, a different bed. Once you're in a lovely bed in this hotel, you go to the next one, it's awful, you know. And you've got an awful room and it's drafty and cold and there's no heating. And so you had all those kind of things. People think it's glamorous, but it, it's not actually. No, that, the, glamorous that bit, been... the glamorous bit is being on stage for two hours. That's the glamorous <laughs> bit. Forget it. It must be amazing because you played stadiums, didn't you? Oh, must be unbelievable. Plans to really do big stadiums. Yeah. What was it like walking out in front of those thousands and thousands? Was it? Did, did you get nervous? No. It was the same as playing in a club, really. You just went out really? and played. Well, you just played. Mick used to get a bit sometimes, a bit nervous, but um, none of the rest of us. So you all had each other to lean on. So you weren't like a solo artist if you were like a Roy Orbison or something. You're on your own. You go out there and you've got to do it. Or even Elvis, you know, you're on your own. So you've got people backing you. Um, Did you ever meet Elvis? Uh, no, I never met Elvis. Were you a fan? Oh, yeah, of his early years, yeah. Doing that's all right, Mama, and all those things. <laughs> yeah, but I did meet most other ones, like Roy Orbison and all those, you know, because we toured with those people. Yeah. Was he amazing, Roy Orbison? He was. He was. He was. That's uh, an extraordinary voice, isn't it? Yeah, we toured Australia and New Zealand with him. Well, we, we had so many people. We we start. We got I can Tina Turner in '67 to come to England. You know, when they started to be famous, we played with Stevie Wonder. We always had top top artists. You know, we always played with the top artists at the time. We were never scared of having a, a really, you know, other top bands with us. You know. Yeah. yeah, they might have had better records than us, better singers than us or something, but we were the best live band. The other lovely book you did last year is your uh, Bill Wyman's Chelsea. What what gave you the idea to do that? Well, I was just walking around Chelsea, um, you know, for exercise, like an hour every day. And I used to take my camera and just shoot the odd photo of the of the river or something. And I and I ended up with so many photos that I thought, you know, maybe I'll do a book on London, of the whole of London. And then I thought, oh, that's like Encyclopedia Britannica. I'd never get that. <laughs> I'd never get it. You know, there's so much. So I thought, oh well, I could do one of Chelsea, because I live here. And so in four years, I walked every street of Chelsea. And then there's, there's hundreds of streets. And um, I took photos of anything 
unusual, interesting, different in every street, from door knockers to toilet to yeah. hole hole covers in the, on the pavement, <laughs> to trees, to bushes, to front doors, to um, statues on walls, and there was there was Brilliant. so much stuff. And I ended up with almost two thousand photos. And then I started to write the history of every street and, and all the houses and all the famous people that lived there. It's a fabulous book, anyone out there listening. It's it's called Bill Wyman's Chelsea. It's really, really interesting. I mean, I, I, I live in kind of Kensington and, and I know Chelsea quite well, but I learned so much from your book. It's brilliant. <laughs> well, it's extraordinary how many famous people actually lived in Chelsea over the years. Even people like Mozart was here briefly. And, really? Yeah, it's cr- craziness. You know, um, of course, Agatha Christie, you know, there was, uh-huh. you name anybody, you know, Oscar Wilde. Well, it was, all, it was always quite an arty kind of village, wasn't it? Well, it started off with, with you know, Henry VIII set his manor down there because That's he right. used to go to the other guy who he beheaded in the end, the old <laughs> church, um, Sir Thomas More. You know, he had his he had his manor there, and Henry used to come there first, and he liked it so much that he built a manor there. So, and then Elizabeth, the Queen, used to walk Chelsea, and you go up one street, and there's there's where they were sheltering under an elm tree in a in a storm, and it's called the Queen's Elm, a wow. pub there on the corner, and there's all that kind of Amazing. history that you because in those in Elizabeth the first time, it must have been in the middle of the countryside, Chelsea, wasn't it? Yeah, it was all. It was like a little village by the river. All the artists were here. Yeah, um, I knew it was a very artistic centre. But it's a brilliant book. Well done, you. Royalty used to come here for the day, you know, and just spend time. It was fantastic, and it still is. You've got everything it is. here. You know, I live between the river and the King's Road. I couldn't be better. I've got everything I want. Theatre, shops. Restaurants, Restaurants. <laughs> you know, all that. And I go down to the river. I've got the river. I've got wildlife there, you know, across the road, across the river is Battersea Park. Yeah, no, you're right. You could walk across there. No, you're right. Well, we're we're up the road from you, but... Um... Do you know the Physic Gardens? Pardon? Oh, yeah, they're fabulous, oh, aren't beautiful, they? Beautiful, you know. Hans Sloan built that as he, built, as he was partly to do with the British Museum as well. Uh-huh. And so there's memorials to him. There's so many famous people that did so many great things who lived in Chelsea. No, it's it's amazing. I also read you sold a Fender Mustang. I'm reading it because I couldn't remember what it was called. A 1969 Fender Mustang bass sold in auction for three hundred eighty thousand dollars. Yeah. My goodness, that's well. I'm not surprised. There was only about twenty of them built. Yeah, but it was because you played it that it went for that. Well, I had an amplifier that went Money. more than that. It went for about five hundred thousand. Oh wow! Why would the amplifier, which I learned to the Stones when I first joined them, because they didn't have uh, good equipment. Oh wow! And that sold for more more than the guitar. Oh yeah. Why? Because it was unique. Oh, it was a one-off. It was a Vox uh, Vox amp, which are mostly wow. coloured. This one was pale pale brown, and I bought it in like the early 60s with my band at Clifton's. Wow. What did it cost when you bought it? Well, we did it on HP. I don't know. I don't know. 
quite a protest because you never had enough money to buy things outright. Yeah. You know. I know. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. My life's been incredible, you know. It I've has. done archaeology and I found a Roman site that they never knew was there. I played charity. Did you? Yeah. I played charity really? cricket for eight years and took a hat trick at the Oval with against an uh, old England. What? What? Explain what? I don't know what a hat. I don't know. Yeah, three cricket, people so out, what's... three balls when you bowl. Oh, okay, and that's a hat trick. You bowl, he's out. In comes the next guy, bowl, he's out. Next guy comes in, you bowl, he's out. Amazing. You also did an autobiography, didn't you, in 1990 called Stone Alone? Yeah, well, I've written 13 books now, and wow. uh, they've all been very successful. And I've written on a whole variety of subjects as well. You're amazing. You never stop, do you? No, no, <laughs> no I've got idea for about four books at the moment. And you've had photographic exhibitions. Yeah, around the world. With your yeah. photography, yeah. So I still have those. But you won't, you won't fly anymore, will you? So you, you I presumably... I stopped in 1990. I just didn't like it anymore. Why? We had some really bad flights where we just Did dropped you, yeah. for seven seconds oh, and up. Oh, all that stuff. I thought I don't need this, and I don't have to do it anymore. You know, I don't. Your need heart, it. your heart it. doesn't need it. I agree with you. And my career didn't. I could do things from home, you know. Yeah. Which I've done since. So, if you go to France, do you do you drive or go on the train? I drive, but now I go by train. It's very easy. Yeah, because you get the big fast train down to the south, don't you? Yeah, but you 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 don't take the Eurostar to Paris, because if you go there, then you've got to go right across town. To get to the other railway station. Oh, so how do you get to you that? Go, you go, you head for Brussels, and you drop off in oh. the, the stop before that is Lille, it's Lille, France. Oh yeah. And it's only an hour and three quarters or so. You go to Lille, you cross the pavement uh, onto the TGV, which goes straight oh. to Nice. Oh, that's so interesting. It's just one change, really. So that's very convenient. Yeah, that is. Do you go to France very often? I haven't been for a couple of years now because I had to go through prostate cancer treatment and all oh, that, so right. I couldn't go anywhere. That's why I stopped but, with the Rhythm Kings. Yeah, but you're you're well now, aren't you? Oh, yeah, I got cured, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was lucky I, I, they, they found it early, you know, so. Well, that, that's a message out to everyone, really. Yeah, you've got it. You've got Every to, man out there, you've got to get tested. Yeah. You've got to. All it is is a blood test now. You can do it with a blood yeah. test, you know. Yeah. And you should do it every six months or something. You should. Every male listening, please listen to Bill and me. Go and get tested. <laughs> Ladies have breast cancer problems. Oh, yeah. But and then the guys have prostate. prostate cancer. They're the two big, big dangers you have, you know. Yeah, no, I know. Well, it's like anything, any health issue. You, sh it's, it's getting mm. tested or if you feel there's something different in your body or you feel funny, just go and get it checked out. Yeah, because to, yeah. the earlier you catch anything, whatever it is, the better. I just want to, I mean, we haven't announced it yet, but we've, we've been working together, haven't we? Yep. Well, I've got a solo album coming out in March, April, which I finished quite a while back. And then yeah. I started to work with you doing all these traditional songs from the 30s, 40s, 50s. And I asked you if you wanted to do it, if you remember. I did. And then COVID came along. We yeah, were skyped for about We made collections of kind of songs or oh, traditional songs we wanted to do. And then you brilliantly, because we had so many songs from that period, and you kept sending me ones, lots of them I knew and lots I didn't. 
but I love that period, you know, and the, I've done things on stage and on film. My first film, The Boyfriend, was all 1920s music. So I yeah, love that. That's where I heard your voice and I thought, you know, you'd be perfect for this stuff. Oh, well, thank you. But then you narrowed it down because I kept picking the ones you sent me. I kept picking and you said a lot of these are by Mary Ford and Les Paul. So why don't we do it like a tribute to them? Yeah. And so they are all Mary Paul and uh, uh, Mary Ford and Les Paul songs, aren't they? Yeah, they're all the ones they covered, you know, which are all classic songs anyway. Yeah. They're, they're and I did it in a different way, didn't I? We didn't have a drummer. I yeah. just did a piano, bass and guitars. That's all it is. And you singing. And, and lovely Bev doing the backing. She's brilliant. Who was in the Rhythm Kings for yeah, 20 years. So I knew what she'd, how she'd do it. And so... We've just got to finish it off now, you know. I know, I know, it's exciting. And it sounds it's lovely. scary, exciting, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, thank you so much for talking to me on my podcast. It's lovely. It's funny when you talk to somebody you know so well and a friend, but it's lovely because lovely stories come out. It's I love, and, I, and again, do get these books, Billy in the Wars and Bill Wyman's Chelsea. They're absolutely fabulous. Thank you. Billy in the Wars really touched my heart. It's so, it's so touching to read it's lovely and it's so lovely because you obviously had some hard times but there was a lot of love there as well which is lovely anyway i'll see you soon and thank you thank you it's been it's been fun oh he's so sweet bill isn't he and oh god he makes me laugh sorry i hope i didn't make too much noise I do get the giggles a bit, <laughs> but his stories are extraordinary. When you think of, you know, his upbringing and and do try and get the books. They're fabulous. Bill Wyman's Chelsea and Billy in the Wars. Um, quite touching. And hopefully the album I'm doing with him will come out soon. Quite exciting. Anyway, take care and I'll see you soon. Bye. If this is your first time listening to Tea with Twiggy, please do remember to tell your friends. You can also subscribe for free on your podcast app and listen to all my previous guests. If you want to connect with me, I'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter at Twiggy or you can find me on Instagram at Twiggy Lawson. My thanks go to all the people that have helped this podcast happen. Many thanks to James Carroll and all the team at North Bank Talent Management. Thanks to all the team at Stripped Media, including Ben Williams, who edits the show, my producer, Kobe Omanaka, and executive producers, Tom Wally and Dave Corkery. The music you can hear now is my version of Waterloo Sunset by The Kinks. If you'd like to hear the whole song, you can find it and all the other songs I've recorded on iTunes and Spotify. So check it out. I look forward to you joining me for my next episode. So see you then. Bye. You just heard a stripped media production.